Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Cut the Shit, a podcast series that aims to take a closer look at the impact of the IT industry, both the good and the bad. Cut the Shit is brought to you by Plow Networks, a managed IT services company based just outside Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Brian Link, EVP of Products and Services here at Plow, and I'll be your host for this series. I'll ask questions, and with the help of our guests, try to dig deep on some of the key challenges we all face dealing with IT. So with that, let's cut the shit and get started. On today's episode, I am super excited to have Scott Brees as our guest. Scott is a 20-year IT veteran who got his start on the networking side of the house and then moved into security at HCA and never looked back. Since then, he has progressed into chief security officer roles, first at Community Health Systems and then at Cerner, which recently became part of Oracle Health, where he is today. Scott has broad IT expertise, so we decided to focus our conversation on IT budgeting. Yeah, I know what you're thinking, but trust me, this is way more interesting than you might expect. Scott shares his early experiences with IT budgeting, how he learned to get better at it, and what are his suggestions for how to make the process work better for anyone having to create or review an IT budget for their company. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott Brees. Scott, welcome to Cut the Shit. How are things today? Great. Thank you for having me, Brian. I'm glad to have you. We're excited. We're excited. Hey, before we dive into kind of the meat of the discussion, uh, I always like to start with, you know, something kind of, I call it a warm up, whatever you want to call it. But um, give me an example, and, and you may have to think about it a bit, but give me an example of kind of, of the most interesting use of technology, kind of a hack that you've seen recently, either from clients or colleagues or kids or whatever, just something that you might have seen uh, someone using technology in a way that's that's kind of interesting. Uh that's that's yeah, that's a good one. Um, I, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head, but it's interesting to watch my eleven year old do TikToks. <laughs> I mean, it. it's like that's all they do is sit around and TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Is it? A, is this a boy or girl? Eleven uh, year old girl. So okay. she's. I mean, she's. Like some of that stuff, my wife and I were like, how does she get so creative in these things? I mean, it's, it's insane, but, uh, that's the only thing I could think of right off the top of my head. It's, it's been a minute since I've seen any kind of interesting technology used for something. Okay. That, that was, yeah, I probably ought to stop asking that question, frankly, because it made more sense during, uh, during lockdown stuff. Cause there were people had a bunch of examples of things that people were doing to figure out how to make stuff happen while they couldn't go to the office or, or, you know, at home or something like that. But like, that's all priced in now. Like it's not, it's not that interesting anymore. Everybody's figured that out. So, well, I, I, I will share that, um, I bought some new icicle lights for outside this year and who knew that you could get a, a set of icicle lights with 10 different settings. And I mean, it, what would Clark Griswold have done if he had had those? I mean, he wouldn't have known what to do with himself. Insane. Uh, <laughs> it looked like a rave party the other night with my daughter out there helping me hang the lights. Cause she like put it on this one setting and it was just like big style of lights going on. And I was like, man, well, it reminds me of my cut the shit sign behind us, which has something like that too. Uh, or I could change the, I could, I could change the setting. So, uh, I, I won't do that to distract anyone, but I, I always use that. If, if the meeting gets boring, I go to that as a, as an alternative. So there you go. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to the main event. Um, sure. To get us started, um, why don't you introduce yourself? Give us a, again, I've already, I've already told the people who you are, but give us a quick thumbnail sketch on your background and how you got started in technology. All right. Um, I don't want to really. It only happened a couple of years ago. I mean, you're brand new to the, you, you know, you're, you're brand new to the field. So tell us about that. 
Yeah, I wish I was. Uh, no, I've been in uh, I've been in IT for 22 years. Um, so it's uh, I started out at a Thompson Technology Company building patient forecasting and planning databases, and went to a couple of small companies in between before going to HCA and then Community Health Systems, and now. I went to Cerner and then we got acquired by Oracle. So now I'm the uh, CISO for Oracle Health and AI. So uh, yeah, we're making that uh, transition into Oracle right now. Got it. So how did that, it sounds like you started, you weren't necessarily on the security side. So how did the transition into security specifically happen? Uh, was, it a, was it a natural progression or was that a discrete choice you made? Um, yeah, it was a discrete choice. I, you know, was uh, doing database administration and uh, network uh, administrator for a company. And then, you know, started reading up on security as it was becoming big. And uh, I think at the time it was uh, IP tables in, in Red Hat Linux. And uh, so it it intrigued me. And then this company across town, I don't even know if they're still in business anymore, very small company. Um, they were looking for a security guy. And so they brought me in and they said, you have three months to build a, a firewall using a Linux-based platform. And so I did that. Next thing I know, they were sending me all over uh, the south, uh, southeast, southwest, and uh, putting in uh, internet connections and IP tables, firewalls. So that's how I got started. Got it. So you're half network, half security, which I guess kind of goes together really at the end of the day. Yeah, it does. Very close. Awesome. All right. Well, so given your background and, and you know, you and I've talked some, so I know uh, I know sort of the breadth uh, of things that you've dealt with and continue to deal with. Um, there are a lot of different directions we could go with this conversation, and, and we may have to have you back on for a part two at some point to talk about some of the other angles. Uh, but today I wanted to zoom in a bit on um, IT budgeting, which, you know, if you're listening, don't don't fall asleep just quite yet. It's not going to be what you think. I know IT budgeting doesn't get most people super excited, but it's super important. And so we want to talk a little bit about that and maybe how managers can you know, maybe do this better or at least think about it in, in some new and creative ways um, for this really important task. So to kick it off, you know, I thought, why don't let's start with you and your relationship to budgeting, to the budgeting process. What was the first time you remember having to put together uh, either a, a whole budget or part of a budget for review and approval? Can, can you think back on that and try to, can you describe that experience for us? Yeah. Um... So it must my first job out of college, and uh, so you got into the game early then, because most people don't, <laughs> most people aren't that lucky, Scott. <laughs> yeah, that was back in '99. Um, yeah, it, and I was probably on the job maybe two, three months, and you know, my boss comes over and he's like, "Hey, I need you to be in this budget meeting with me um, tomorrow, and here's a list of things we got to prep for." And I'm sitting there looking at it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I know what OPEX means, what CAPEX means. I, I don't understand these things. And he's like, think about it from a, a perspective of what's coming out of your checking account versus what the bank's going to give you a loan for. And I was like, oh, well, that's simple. Um, and so- That's actually a pretty good. That's a pretty good example. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, if you don't want money coming out of your pocket, there's no need to buy it. And I was like, okay, how much am I allowed to borrow? He goes, within reason. I was like, okay. So I went around to all the other team members and uh, we compiled a list of everything that we wanted from software to training to travel. Um, let's see, what else was it? And in any of the existing um, stuff that we had. And so, uh, and team building, we, we put team building in there for sure. 
Um, Got to have some beer money. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I put that list together and I got into his office about 4.30 on the day before. But that was the day that he gave me the list. And he was like, what's all that? And I said, well, you told me to go around and get everybody's needs and and wants. And he goes, well, how did you separate it out? I was like, these are all the needs. These are all the wants. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, it was a really interesting experience and i got coached for oh i bet it was 45 minutes to an hour i wasn't planning on being there after five o'clock i was going to meet my buddies over at the bar for a beer and right <laughs> yeah so i uh, ended up getting a homework assignment that night i had to skip the the beer and the buddies and go to the house and do some work so that was my first experience and i learned a lot and ever since then i took the budgeting experience serious yeah, because I'm I'm so so let's come to the let's let's go to the second second part of that story, which is I'm assuming you were presenting this to uh this, to some decision makers somewhere, and you know you had to you had to go before them and present this list of of needs and wants. Am I correct about that? That is correct. So I uh I was actually just there to support my boss, um, and explain why we needed those things. Okay. And how it, how it related to to the work we were performing or to the clients we were supporting, and so um, I was just the the details guy. He was the guy that was doing all the presenting because he had that experience, and gotcha. that that in itself was a learning experience as well. Because you don't go in there in in grave detail; you go in there with an executive summary right. on why you're asking for that money and how it relates to the business, and is it driving any revenue or uh, additional value. So that was, that was a real good experience. Well, let kind of walk forward from there a bit and let's think a little bit about, so, so over the years you've, you've done this process now a lot of times, right. In, in various forms and in different organizations, which I mean, budgeting is not, uh, you know, it's not the same everywhere. People do it differently. In fact, it's never been the same anywhere I've ever been. Um, it's, 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 it's as unique as marketing plans or anything else, despite the fact that you might think it'd be more vanilla. That's not been my experience. I'm guessing it's not the same for you. Um, what are some of the, you know, if you think about the kind of take that first example and then, you know, stack on top of it, the things you've, you know, the, the experiences you've had since where maybe you, you were continuing to support and then became the person doing the present, doing the presenting, uh, you know, putting the budget together and presenting it to the, to the, to the decision makers. What are some of the key lessons that you've learned um, to try to help make that process go more smoothly? Um, that's a good question. You know, and you're right. It, it varies from organization to organization. And, um, this one that I'm in today, the group that I have working for me, I have to be very specific about my expectations on, um, line item detail, um, showing business value, um, you know, putting, putting it in a prioritized fashion, um, and then also making sure that others can, you know, gain value or benefit from it as well. Um, try to try to create that collaboration where you're having the larger conversations with partners and peers and, um, you know, people in your department, outside your department to make sure that if I go make this investment, or if I'm going to go up for this ask, how can you leverage what I'm going to invest in? And that way it it doesn't drive any duplicate investments or wasted dollars into the same technology. Maybe it's just a different provider or 
um, a service, same thing. And, um, you know, how can you garner that larger message uh, with those partners and peers to say, this is an investment we all agree and go make. And then that way the, the, you know, the CFO can say, sign off on it. I understand the value. I understand the breadth and the depth of which you guys are going to use this and, and how it's going to either build revenue for us or drive value into the organization and even security. Now that's that I've noticed that here recently is more and more conversations around budgeting are, did you get with security? Yeah. And, and put a pin in that. Cause I, I want to talk about that. Cause that's, that's a, you know, 25 years ago, that you know, that wouldn't have been something that people would have talked about in in, in any kind of a value context, or right? It would have been, it would have just been assumed away, embedded in something else, or not talked about at all, probably. But we'll outside of healthcare or banking, you know, a few some some areas where it's always mattered, if you will. Um, and when we touch on that, there's a flip side to that too. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll get we're going to get there. So. Um, you gave an example or you gave the example of your current organization and kind of the budgeting process. And I know that's fresh in your mind because we talked and I know you're kind of in, in that mode right now. Contrast that maybe to a couple of prior, uh, prior organizations you've been a part of. What, what would be, maybe, maybe we can learn a little bit from some differences of approach um, and, and, and the lessons themselves. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, the experiences have been different. Like, for example, when I first got to community health systems, right, we I reported into the CIO. And so the CIO had a very large organization, I want to say 12 to 1500 people. And during budget and budgeting time, and even actually using an approved budget was a bit of a challenge because you were trying to compete with what the CIO had for their initiatives. Whereas today, Uh, I report into a CIO, but he's got four distinct lines of operation and I'm just one of them. And, and actually I'm probably the only one that's not an operations team, but he clearly makes sure that everybody has their own, um, account for budgeting and spending and you're responsible for that. Don't go over it. Right. So you got a pot of money as opposed to being, uh, you know, in a, everybody's everybody's lining up in a scrum to to try to get their to get their share so to speak yeah absolutely so i i'm in control of my own money um and if i have to take away to give to something else i can do that uh whereas before i had to go negotiate in that scrum hey uh can you give up some dollars that you just got because i need to go do this and that was always you know a challenge because once you've got that money man that's that's like a death grip right there yeah, the endowment effect is real uh, in organizations, just like it is uh, personally, right? Once you get once you get money, it's always hard to give it up, right? It's easier to give it up if you've never had it. <laughs> I don't like giving up my personal money. I definitely don't like giving up the money that I'm allocated in my space. So right, right, um, absolutely. Um, so along the lines in this process, you know, again, you've had a good, you've had a, a, a solid career, a couple decades. Um, Who's kind of helped you along the way? Where, where you, you mentioned um, the the first gentleman who was uh, you were helping support, and you learned some things from him. But where along the path, where else did you learn to help learn you deal? How did you learn to deal with the budgeting process? And who did you, who who were your teachers in that process? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, there's a guy you you may know him. Uh, a lot of folks do around town. Jason Barnett. He's the CISO over at HCA. Um, he was uh, he was one of the first 
real influences around uh, budgeting, um, the thought process behind what you're budgeting for, um, you know, doing the the pre-work leading up to it, meaning having those peer conversations, those partner conversations. Um, he wasn't afraid to, to challenge somebody on why do you need that or um, are we really using that? And I mean, there's a professional way he would approach the conversation to understand the details instead of being so direct, like generally I am. Um, and uh, through his thought process, I learned, uh, I'd say I matured and got more experienced uh, in um, preparing, executing, and then managing after the fact. Um, so he was a big influence. And then there was a guy named Mike O'Shea that used to be the CTO over at Community Health. He came from Mass Mutual. And he his approach to budget was uh, a little bit different, but at the same time, the same, in that uh, he would like to do roadmaps and then figure out, all right, how do we start accounting for the ask what is it going to be capex opex what is it going to do for the the hospitals that we managed at the time so he was another big influence uh on my approach to budgeting and so i'd say um the one thing i have noticed is each time i've had one of those experiences i've the amount of money that i'm budgeting for has significantly increased i want to i want to say i think this past budgeting cycle when i was at cerner was like i think my budget was operating budget was around 32 million so um so it's gotten bigger zeros are the zeros are adding up yeah yeah they are they definitely are any so so related question that any um any you know teachers so to speak that were not inside the the it or the technology side of the house any any uh, any cfos or operational people that you feel like had a big impact you had an impact uh yeah um there's a guy named larry cash that used to be the cfo at um community health systems um, I reported directly to him at a period of time. And then I think um, Tom Aaron took over. He had a little bit different style. And then Kevin um, Hammonds took over. And Kevin, um, Kevin's a really good teacher as well. Both him and Larry taught me a lot. And that's when I guess I got my exposure into more of hospital operations as I was thinking about security because they were challenging me around the hospital operations revenue cycle and making sure that we were accounting for them. And when I first started in healthcare, one, one thing I wanna point out, I remember this, um, I think this would have been at HCA, you know, it used to be that their mindset, meaning the CFOs and COOs were of the mindset that you don't need that technology, we need to get a new MRI machine or we need to get a new radiology system. And now today, I was reading some uh, Gartner articles and talking to a, an analyst uh, in preparation for budgeting that we have coming up this month. Um, you know, they're starting to spend more on cybersecurity than they are the medical devices. Interesting. So interesting. that is interesting. Yeah. And, and so again, that'll, we, we, I, I don't want to foreshadow too much, but when we talk about risk, this is a good example of how the, at least the mindset around it has changed, right? Um, for, for certain, because, you know, an MRI machine, uh, a CFO, that was an easy, as an easy model, right? You spend, I don't know, a million dollars, five million. I have no idea how much an MRI machine costs. I figure they're expensive. And then that thing's supposed to run for 10 years or whatever long it is. And you need to get X number of, pictures out of it that you charge X for. And there you go. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a math problem that a CFO could love. Right. 
cyber cybersecurity is not, or didn't used to be. <laughs> what the hell am I going to do with that? Right. I think was probably the answer you would have gotten. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, you, you know, that, that's a great example right there, Brian, if I can share this with you. Um, you know, when you're talking about experiences, one of the things I've, I've caught myself doing probably over the last, let's see, I was at community for 14 years. So probably over the last 10 years, I've started factoring in risk from a risk register. And what I try to do is I try to get a risk register built across the business. But now, now, what's a risk register? De define your terms for us. Okay, so a risk register is something you would keep like in a, a governance risk and compliance technology. And what they do is they 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 input all their risk, whether they're external facing, could be market, could be uh, economy, it could be you know regulation, and then they factor in all their internal risk. And then they risk rank them according to um, use some sort of rubric. I mean, a one to five or a, how, how does it, uh, they, you know, they, they usually um, each company does it a little bit different, but there's a risk ranking process that they go through. And then they build okay. the, the plan of actions and milestones, the POAMs, as we use uh, abbreviations and technology all the time. Um, and from that, you build cost models into that so that when you go to the CFO and say, hey, we got this risk and you know, we need this investment to go get it done. Is it worth the value? And so um, what we've learned is over t over the last 10 years is we're starting to use that in our discussions for the funding that we're. So that's become that's become a quantification. I mean, it's a, it's a way of quantifying, quantifying value, right? Even though it's not. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was when you talk to business partners internally, you know, around, I'll call it the budget negotiation process, because let's face it, that's what this is, right? When you're talking about, there's never enough money that everybody wants to spend. It, you know, that, that's just the, the reality of, of the situation. Um, and the, the, you know, terminology in business is pretty common across enterprises, right? There's things like return on investment uh, or cost versus investment, or, you know, there's a lot of language that comes from the accounting and, you know, finance side of the house, right? That it's good. It's there for good reason, but sometimes doesn't necessarily always fit the the circumstance. And the example I always give, the simplest one, and I think somebody at the at the event we had last couple weeks ago gave this example or compared it to, and it's the best one I've ever heard. Which is, you know, risk mitigation is insurance, right? You are buying insurance, just like you buy, you know, property and casualty insurance, protect your car, or your house, right? And the reality of that stuff is, you hope you pay the premium every every year and never get you know, never have to actually cash in and get a claim, right? Because that means you had a loss and you're, you're never going to get made 100% whole with insurance, right? And so now cybersecurity risk is not a 100, it's not a perfect analog, but it's something like that. But it's interesting. So tell me a little bit more about this risk registry and sort of this idea of, of and have you, had to, have you had to teach people that over the years and now is it kind of becoming common parlance? Um, so... I'll tell you, it's it's really helped. Um, it's really helped drive the conversations with the partners, right? So you get some insight into their world and what some of their challenges are. Or uh, it, it also will even create the picture of maybe you know when we made this investment five years ago, we didn't really implement it to support the business, right? And now we need to make adjustments, or the business has changed and we just never adjusted to the business. Um, and so, yeah, it gives you it gives you insight into uh, one their priorities. Uh, two, um, you know, it, it also creates the the conversation of challenging them to say, 
well, you, you bought this investment five years ago. It, you didn't implement it right. What makes you think if we make it a, another investment that we're going to do it right? And it drives maybe a larger strategic conversation around, here's all your business requirements. Here's what it should look like. Okay, we don't have to make that much of an investment, but we'll ask for maybe a fourth of it now this year. We'll plan for two years, the other fourth or the other half or whatever amount until you get it actually implemented the way it should be done. So um, yeah, I have seen, I guess, so, so what I'm saying is I have seen where they've made investments that are wasted costs and then they have to make future investments to correct what was wasted the first time. So those kind of conversations come out quite a bit too. Um, and you know, it's good though that the risk register provides you that opportunity because at the same time it can be used it, like say you have a security incident right you can then go and and in the healthcare if it's a pretty it's if it's significant enough that you have to go report it to the OCR or even like if it impacts patients the uh, attorney general's office will get involved and what it does is it gives you the capability during that audit or um, that corrective action plan. It gives you the ability to say, hey, we made these investments and hey, we made, we corrected these things. Right. Right. Um, so it is it is part of what we do from a, a CISO perspective. Um, I will say that uh, a little bit of a spin on that is if when I first started going into the hospitals and talking to CEOs and CFOs and uh, COOs, it's funny to hear the CFO will have a different opinion than say a CEO or COO because they're more plugged into the physicians and, and hearing what their their needs are or hearing what uh, challenges they have in the delivery of clinical care. So um, to hear somebody that's a that's at the corporate office that's managing a bunch of acute care hospitals is going to have a different budgeting process requests versus what they'll have within the hospital operations themselves. So that, yeah, that, that I find like that's pretty common, <laughs> not just in healthcare, but probably, I mean, you know, it's the old, the further away you are from, you know, from the line, so to speak, the harder it is to know, you know, really understand what's going on. Right. I mean, it's, I think it, it's the nature or it's just like knowing, I mean, customers, how, you know, how close can you get to your customers and really understand their issues? Right. It's a, it's always a challenge. Um, how much you know, talking about the risk register is a curious thing and an interesting thing to me, especially when I think about you know more. Uh, you, you've worked mostly in larger organizations, at least in, in your recent past. Um, it sounded like early on, maybe you were at a little bit smaller places. But how does that scale? Think can you, can you think about how that scales down? It, well, does it scale down? I think it does. But but you know, put on your, maybe put on a, a you know mid market small company hat and talk to me about how you think that would scale down. Maybe it scales down just straight straight out, but I'm just curious your thinking on that um, as it relates to small to mid-sized companies. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think it does scale down. Um, and, and I think it scales, yeah, I think it scales pretty seamlessly. It's just, you know, you're, you can you can use a, a Excel spreadsheet to create a risk register. You can go out online, Google, and look up, you know, risk register, and it'll tell you, you know, pretty standard fields that you would want to track. and. Um, I, I think, you know, that would help you understand where your investments need to be made um, because you can, you know, you can classify them as, you know, potential revenue opportunities. You could classify them as um, 
reduced operating costs over here um, so that you can redirect those funds to grow another part of the business. Um, so I, yeah, I think you could, you could definitely customize your risk register to support whatever size business you are. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, we've talked some about, you know, the budgeting process over the years and with technology changing as much as it has in the past couple of decades, um, you know, there's been a host of new technologies that have really been developed, particularly, you know, cloud and SaaS, you know, in the, the old CapEx versus OpEx, right? There's, there's not as many CapEx opportunities as there used to be. And, and some people are thrilled about that. And some people maybe not so much depending on the circumstances, but how do you see that having impacted the budget, the budgeting process? And, and do you think it's made it easier or harder or and maybe, or maybe both, but if, if it has, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, uh, I, you know, I, when I, when I came to CERN, well, no, actually when I was leaving community health systems, probably the last three or four years that I was there, they were transitioning some of the services to the cloud. Um, because you're right, that cap, CapEx model versus OpEx was starting to shift. Um, and, and hospitals and hospital corporations live off of CapEx for the most part, and they try to minimize their their operating expenses so their bottom line looks better and, and they can generate more money for shareholders where there are. But as I transitioned over to Cerner, you know, we have a very big footprint, cloud footprint, and um, the budgeting process has gotten much harder. And the reason I state that is because, you know, if you're using something like O365 or G Suite, you know, there's a there's a flat rate and generally they give you up to so much storage space uh, for your your shared drives. But um, yeah, as you start to move your applications, like AWS charges yeah. you every time. Consumption based. Yeah, consumption right. based is another whole ball game for yes, sure. Yes, it is. And so, you know, you've got to be pretty accurate about how you budget that and account for that utilization. And and, and as you add more customers, that that utilization just continues to to climb. And so it gets it gets very expensive very quick. Um, and but, you know, it, from a technology standpoint, I mean, you are provided different options. So y y you not only think about for everything you build in that environment, whether it's network, whether it's compute, whether it's storage, um, security, it's all got a cost, right? And so, um, yeah, if you, there are, there are ways that you can do better forecasting for those type of things, um, different tools for that. Uh, there's just about a tool for everything nowadays. That's yeah. why the first question was a little bit hard to answer. Um, and so, yeah, we, we've, we've seen challenges around uh managing budgets and forecasting budgets uh since we've yeah. got a big uh, cloud footprint yeah we certainly hear that a lot from our customers that it's a struggle and and honestly um you know i cloud in SaaS, i mean we're still pretty new at this game right and so i think we have to keep that in mind we'll, we'll we will probably get better and i mean we collectively uh, as a as an industry at helping ourselves to do you know to to try to bring a little more, um, you know, I use the word certainty loosely, but a little more certainty to the cost, uh, the cost picture. I mean, a lot of it is that, you know, the, the creation of, you know, application processes, particularly if you're moving legacy applications to the, you know, to the cloud. And I mean, legacy in the sense that they weren't built exclusively to use consumption-based workloads, right? If they're old school database-driven applications that, you know, 
th those were built with a different delivery package in mind, right? And so conforming those to consumption-based models is tricky. Like it's not easy. Um, and it's an easy place for people to oversell um, the benefits of the cloud a lot of times. And then, you know, realizing the short term, ouch, this is, this is, this is a lot more expensive than I thought it was going to be because, you know, re refactoring is hard and, you know, converting to microservices and container, all the things that you can, all these really cool things you can do that aren't simple to do if you're trying to fly a plane uh, with that application. Right. And that's, you know, it, I would, I would imagine you're smack dab in the middle of that at some, you know, with, with some situations or have been uh, where business partners are like, wait a minute, like, yeah, we need that application, but now it's more expensive. It's twice as expensive as it used to be. And it's like, well, um, you know, what do you want me to do? <laughs> right. I moved it to the cloud. That's where everybody's going. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you know, you make a good point because with all the, with all the change in technology around containers and, and yeah, it's just gotten to the point where security is getting more costly uh, around all those environments that they build. And you have to be very cognizant of who has access to build what, because you can, I've seen them spikes like crazy. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but I didn't really think about the, you know, the, the complexity of the environment because of, because of, uh, you know, the, the flexibility in, in app development deployment, creating a bigger surface area or more complexity from a protection standpoint. That makes perfect sense. I, that leads to, I think, kind of right into the next question in terms of thinking about living in this world of risk mitigation. You've talked some about the risk register. Um, my assumption is business partners vary wildly in terms of their ability to grasp or easily understand risk um, or intuitively have a sense of it within their own operations. So what, what are, how, what are some ways you found to help internal business partners think more effectively about risk? And maybe it's just helping them understand and think through the risk registry process. Because if you do that, if you sort of trust the process to use the old Nick Saban phrase on the backside of that, you'll, you'll, you'll educate yourself in, in the process. Maybe that's the answer, but I, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not every business partner thinks about risk, right? Well, I assume they have different risk tolerances for themselves too, right? So that that has to be a factor. Yeah, it, they do. And and a lot of times you'll hear them say, I've got a problem. And I'm like, what's your problem? And then when they start explaining it to you, you're like, no, that's a risk to the organization, to you, to, right. to you know, your outcomes. Um, and they're like, what do you mean? And so as you start to explain what a risk is, and then, um, you know, you, you talk to them about, you know, you can actually build a model around this that will uh, show you what it would cost you to solve your problem with the air quotes there. Um, can, can you give an example? That's a, that's a really interesting distinction. And I haven't really thought about it like that of, of a, of a, it doesn't have to be a real example or it can, I don't care who it is or what, but uh, someone who said, I have a problem, you said, no, you have a risk. Can you, can you give an example of what that, what that, what that is? Yeah. Um, so for example, you know, everybody, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard this small, medium sized, large organizations, you know, shadow IT, right? Um, so I've had some business partners that will um, hire IT guys within their department, right? And what they're doing is they're trying to build a service that they need that should have been done by the CIO or by the IT department. And so they'll go make a purchase and, and put a 
huge fancy desktop or server underneath this person's desk and they'll be like okay yeah. here's where you go to get the data yep. and here's the reporting that i need and we're going to cut the red tape we're just going to get we're going to we're going to get a guy he's a smart guy he understands databases he's going to build this analytics thing for us boom he's off to the races he knows he knows power bi he knows sql you know yeah, yeah exactly and oh by the way if you plug it into all these systems i mean you just gave you get more data an immediate path right in yeah um <laughs> So, yeah, you know, that's an example. And then when, when you start talking to them and you're like, that's not a problem because I don't have anybody to run this anymore. They left. Well, yeah, because it's a dead end job going nowhere, just being, you know, a data monkey all day. That's all they are. Right. And uh, so, you know, when you start talking to them about it, and you, you, this is a risk and here's why it's a risk. And it's not just the risk to you. It's a risk to the company. We have a solution over here called the Enterprise Data Warehouse. Why don't we put it in your budget to get professional services if IT doesn't have the the bandwidth or the capacity to come and do it? And we make sure that we account for the licensing and any software that the people that manage the enterprise data warehouse do it. And then that way you go into a controlled environment, secured environment. Right. Connectivity. You know that you know that the data you've got, you know that the data is gonna be handled properly in terms of ingress and egress, storage, all that good stuff. Yeah, roles-based access, limited, yeah, yeah. Uh, predefined reports, canned reports, and, you, you know, here is the process to request new things. And so it's good to see that because, one, it keeps the CFO happy because you're standardizing on a process and investment that was already made. You quit wasting those operating dollars having that salary and yep. and yep. software on that computer and that database. And um, so that, that's an example of what we okay. see. Uh, from time to time is what they consider to be a problem, but it's actually a risk. Right. Okay. Okay. That's fair. I just, that was an interesting distinction. I wasn't, I'm, I was thinking that there might be people listening who were like, what exactly does he mean by that? So that that's, that's a good, that's a good example. So um, we're, we're kind of getting, starting to roll up on time. So I, I want to try to head, head towards, um, towards the end here. I got a few more questions and this one's a, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily about war stories here, but they're always kind of fun to get a few every now and then. So can you, can you tell it, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, if you, maybe the most difficult or challenging budget cycle you've ever had to deal with. And maybe it was because, you know, I'm thinking of like a situation that was really fraught economically, like, you know, shit had kind of hit the fan economically for, you know, for that the business was dealing with, uh, or there were some real internal issues going on. And so, you know, it was, it was kind of a, you know, it was a, it was a tough, it was a tough deal. Um, maybe, maybe, a, you know, a story around that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, I figured you've had those by now. I do so. have those <laughs> and I'm figuring out which one to pick out. Right. Uh, yeah, I was hoping you only had one or two, but I, I also know that, you know, life is not always uh, a, a bed of roses. So. Um, I won't, I won't say the company name, um, but let me put it to you this way. Uh, we were in the process of a of an acquisition, and you know we do our due diligence. We're getting ready to close, and the day before, I'm headed back down to the location to finish up the due diligence pieces and and get prepped for day one. You know, go live. We find out that there was only a small number of people transitioning into IT and security that we had to take on all of their responsibilities after we built their budgets. And they were like, we don't have money for budgets except for salaries. So figure it out. 
And so, as you can imagine, I get down there and, uh, yeah, there was a lot of unhappy people. I'd say so. I'd say so. You that it's a little bit of Lucy with the football on that one, uh, you know, for you. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting time. And I, I was still, I was still early on in my career too. How'd you navigate that? What was, what was, this, what was your approach? You know, I pulled my leadership together and, and said, look, we've got a challenge in front of us. Here's what, here's what we've, we've got to do. Um, we've got to make this work. Let's figure out what's waste. Go ahead and just get rid of it. Uh, understand the impacts first before you do that. But let's, if there's waste that we can just do away with, let's, let's do away with it. Are there, are there opportunities for us to leverage existing products and licenses and, and processes and that's not going to cost us anything and and incorporate that into our stuff. Um, we were, I'd say, 70% successful um, and, and I'm probably being generous on that maybe. Um, but, uh, you know, everything comes with failures. That's how you learn, right? Right. And right. so... Um, Some might say that's a fairly impossible situation. So, you know, if you could... If you could do have a little bit of success with that, squeezing, you know, some juice out of that lemon, what else are you going to do, right? I mean, at, at the end of the day. So. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I've had the opposite of that. I've been acquired and acquiring company, you know, you start submitting requisitions and they're like, budget, you don't have a budget. I'm like, well, <laughs> we did before you acquired us. No, right. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> So yeah, I've been on, I've been on both sides of that. I got you. Okay. Well, uh, I was going to ask a question about cost cutting, but now I don't need to, cause it just got answered. So, um, there you go. Um, I guess last question before we kind of get to the, a couple of non-work things to, to bring us home. Um, and this is again, it, 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 platitudes are dangerous. So, you know, maybe if you can give me some specifics, that'd be great. Um, not that it's easy, but if you could try, so what advice would you give to anyone who's trying to get better at managing you know, the IT budgeting process for their company. I mean, obviously that's a big range of people and, and situations, but what, you know, what are two or three things that you feel like are sort of, you know, best practices or, or core principles that have worked for you? And that as you've looked around, you've seen it worked for others. Um, you know, categorizing and what I mean by that, you know, must haves, could haves, and nice to have just prioritize into those categories and then figure out uh one what can you get done do you have the resources to support it ongoing after that um is there duplication you know across peers and and um the company figure out how to remove the waste i guess is what i'm trying to say is 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 a is a good thing, you know, identify where you've already made existing investments and can grow it because they've got additional modules or they've got um, capabilities now built into the upgrades that you've, you've uh, implemented in your organization. And then, you know, definitely have those conversations with peers and partners, figure out how you guys can create one voice of, we need to make this investment, we're committed to it. And maybe we don't do these other two things, be willing to give up something to get something. I like that. Yeah. And I, I think I'm always reminded of, uh, um, Dale Carnegie's, you know, he says the, the way to, to win friends and influence people is speak in terms of other people's, uh, interests. And it seems like that's maybe the, the, the core principle for it is at the end of the day, we're not really an end in itself. Um, I mean, there are certain things that are, but in general, 
It's to help the business do whatever it needs to do because most businesses are not IT businesses. They are operational businesses that do provide products and services to people and other, other companies and they use IT to get that stuff done. Right. And so that seems to me to be, you know, maybe that's a good one to quit on for, for the talk is that, that sort of idea. And I think you've, you've, in listening to you talk, if you didn't know you were an IT person from the intro, you wouldn't have known it necessarily from the conversation, which I think means you've, you've kind of adopted that. So, um, and that explains, I'm sure a good part of your success among other things. So congratulations on that. So, so. Well, thank you. All right. So, um, again, to wrap up with a couple of personal slash non-work things, the first one is, I know you're busy, especially with the acquisition. You got a, man, you got, you got a 11 year old, so you got a bunch going on, but, um, what's something you've watched or read lately that you think others ought to check out? Uh, you know, a couple other things. than TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, no, we're not talking about TikTok anymore. <laughs> oh my Lord. Um, so I was reading an article not too long ago, you know, we're talking about cost budgets, right? And a lot of, uh, companies are, um, paying attention to how much spend is going out the door operating wise into cloud, uh, providers. And the article was interesting because, you know, it named the big ones, Microsoft, Google, uh, Amazon, and they're going more to that mid tier data center cloud provider, um, because more cost affordable, do they get all the solutions that, you know, the big ones offer, maybe not necessarily, um, but they are starting to see that trend of moving from the top tier to more of the mid to small tier, depending on the size of your company to um, manage your cost a lot better. So that to me was, was uh, uh, interesting. And uh, is, is, was that an article you said that you read? Yeah, it was an article. I'll try to find it. And yeah, yeah. Cause I'll say if you could, if you could give me the, send me the link afterwards, we'll drop it in the show notes so people can, can check it out. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, something that I've seen lately that's, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people probably already have, but if you haven't seen the new Top Gun, I mean, that that was, that still resonates with me. And I saw that like several months ago. Yeah, it was, I mean, we talked about it with, with I've talked about it with my peers of my age, I'm 51. So I remember when the original came out and, you know, it's not, it's not very often that you say a sequel this far in the past it's it's better than the first one uh and and the first one was really good and and I, or at least that's my opinion but that's how good i feel I, th- I felt like it was like it's really it was really well done and generally sequels are not good <laughs> yeah the only other know, one i can think of that's still going that's still good is john wick i mean that's true that's true that that's a good that's a good example yeah john yeah, wick yeah. is like the new matrix yeah that's that's i mean yeah i'll never forget the first time i watched that one i was like Man, be nice to people's dogs. Uh, if, in case if there's one lesson you learn from that movie, there you go. So, all right, last question. Um, tell us about your first technology mem- memory as a child. Maybe it was a gaming system, early stage computer. Can't be the phone or the TV. Like that's boring. Everybody knows that. So something outside of that. Um, first video game as a kid was the uh, Odyssey. Oh, okay. Hadn't heard that one in a while. Yeah, I forgot about Odyssey. Yeah, I forgot about the Odyssey. Video yeah, yeah. game, yeah. It looked like a, a big box that had a keyboard on it, and it looked like it, yep. you stuck 8-track tapes into it, like the old Atari cartridges. Yep. Uh, um, first computer, uh, it was Commodore 64. 
That's the first one I remember too. My my friend had one. I didn't have one, but my buddy had one. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, first time I programmed was an Apple IIe in second grade. Do you have a book or something? You follow the instructions? Yeah. Yeah. They uh, somebody donated to our school um, four or five different Apple IIe computers and. Um, they had some kind of advanced class that that there was like six of us in and and that's what our um you know class was or i don't even know if it was part of our curriculum or what but they, they put us in a room and they were like here you go this is a new craze like because i can't imagine there was a teacher that knew how to teach you anything on it so uh she read the book the night before she said and that's how we learned <laughs> <laughs> how to do the the coding the next day and i mean it's simple simple yeah. stuff yeah. you know images sure. on the screen and stuff like that that basic yeah, yeah. but i remember them they'd, they'd come line by line you know it'd be this like triangle looking thing you're and it was amazing that it that it happened you know um at the time it, it certainly was like magic and honestly it's still it, the technology just feels more like magic now than it ever did i mean to be honest uh, i don't i don't know there's really any other way to describe it so yeah um, well scott um that's all I've got. I'll, I'll let you get back to work. Thank you so much for your time uh, and for joining us on Cut the Shit. We really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you having me, Brian, and thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you were enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you would become a subscriber wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would really help us out. Or you can just go old school and tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, and tell anybody else who you think might want to hear something like this to listen in. If you're on social media, make sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at cuttheshit underscore pod. We are also on TikTok, at cuttheshitpod, all one word, where we post lots of clips from the podcast. And last but not least, you can also watch the YouTube version of the show on our YouTube channel, at Plow Networks. Until next time, take care and have a great day.